0: Off.
1: hello listeners welcome back to a pot of their own. This is episode 112 of a pot of their own. I am Allison McCaig and I am joined this week by my lovely co-hosts Linda Sarovich.
2: Hello Linda. Hi, Allison. Sorry, they changed the voice of this meeting. It's going to be recorded.
1: <laughs> I guess Zoom updated, and Linda is is amused by the new the new voice. I was not so <laughs> expecting that. And we My are, goodness. Uh, we are also joined by Kellyanne Healy. Hello, Kellyanne.
3: Hello, Allison. Hello, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a rousing start, everyone. Um yeah, Now she's got me giggling.
1: I mean, we have to do something to keep ourselves amused. There's still a lockout, everyone. There's still a lockout. So nothing's Good happening. Um, I'm drinking beer. The, like, I'm just like, what are we going to do for this podcast? Well, the only Mets update that we have for you all is that Uh, obviously prior to our last, the last time we recorded, the Mets had hired Buck Showalter to be the manager. Um, and now the entire like coaching staff, at least the main coaches have been filled out. So the bench coach is Glenn Sherlock, who was previously with the Mets. Um, and he was also previously on Showalter's staff, both when he was managing the Yankees and when he was managing the Diamondbacks. So he's like a known guy to both the Mets and Showalter, Um, the hitting coach is Eric Chavez, um, who left the Yankees to come to the Mets. Um, the pitching coach is (laughs) is still Jeremy Hefner. He's the only one who was retained, um, from coaching staff. Um, third base coach is Joey Cora relation of Alex Cora. Uh, he's been the pirates third base coach for a while. Um, and now he's going to be the Mets third base coach. And the first base coach is Wayne Kirby. I believe another show Walter. Uh, another show Walter guy. <laughs> so that's the coaching staff. Um, and that's really the updates, uh, as we, uh, as such as they are, um, there's still a lockout. Um, there, the two side, the baseball, like put forth its proposal. Um, so the two sides did negotiate. I put in air quotes for the first time since the lockout began. But it was basically baseball putting forth a proposal they knew wouldn't be received well, and it wasn't received well. And that was it. There's like not there's not much happening. Um, uh, The union will, uh, you know, counter probably at some point. uh, And we will see what the counter proposal is and we'll see how much distance there is between what baseball and the owners are proposing and what the union is proposing
3: but we are getting close to the point where spring training might be affected. Yeah. Yeah, um, It's getting getting late early here. Mm -hmm. We're getting close.
1: As, as Yogi Barrett say, it's getting late early out there. Um, We're getting to the point where if this drags on much longer, spring training might be delayed. Probably. I think that the likelihood that spring training will be delayed is pretty high at this point. Yeah. Um, it's just a question of whether that results in a delay of the season. And that will depend on how long spring training is delayed. Um, oh boy. So we'll see. Um At this point, I had always felt like there's there was a huge spectrum going into this lockout of like what people thought the outcome was going to be. Um, And I don't claim to like know any insider info or like be more informed than anybody else on this. But I have always felt that the season would be impacted in some way. Not like you know, there'd be half a season or anything like that. Um, But I've always felt that the season where was the likelihood of the season starting on time was low and it was optimistic to think that it would. Um, But there were there are people on the other side of the spectrum that feel that like that still feel now like there's too much to lose on both sides. Like the the owners really don't want to lose another uh, another part of a season given covid in 2020 and everything that's going on, that there's too much at stake for the, the two sides to not agree. Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's kind of subjective where you fall on that spectrum of, uh, of confidence. Uh, I don't, I still think that even as pessimistic as I am about the season starting on time, I still think that there's going to be a 162 game season. I just think it might look a little different. We might get a lot of those seven inning double headers again. There might be like <sighs> a lot of, there might be like we might be playing later into the fall a, by a little bit, um, mm. because of a delay of the, at the start.
3: Um, unclear. People to me. that live in in colder areas aren't going to like that or play in colder areas. Uh, maybe sure we like can finally
2: kill Jeets Mister November. At yeah, point. right. Oh,
3: please, maybe somebody else word. can take the title. <sighs> One can
1: hope. Um, but yeah. So right now. We're just waiting still, so there's not much to talk about, but for that reason, (laughs) I anticipated this, that this would be, I mean, this is sort of always the, even during a normal off season, this is sort of the dead period in the off season in January when the, the winter meetings are already over. They didn't really happen this year because of the lockout, but the winter meetings are over, but you know, pitchers and catchers have yet to report most of the big free agents usually have signed at this point. So like I already anticipated that there's, this might be a lull in the off season and given the lockout, it's even more so a so we decided to have a book podcast. Um, so we all read um, The Captain, uh, David Wright's memoir, which was ghostwritten by Anthony Decomo of MLB.com, Mets beat writer. Um, and i really so, say it's
3: ghostwritten if he's credited.
1: Yeah, true. He's credited. Yeah. So. He, he wrote, he like, you know, they collaborated, I guess. Yeah. Even though it. his
3: name, his David Wright's author name is really big. And Anthony DeComo's name is I know. really small. I feel
1: really kind small. of bad about that. Cause it's like, you know, that DeComo like wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> like David Wright, like gave interviews and like gave input and stuff, but DeComo probably wrote this. Straight wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <sighs> but we, we all read it. Um. And we decide to talk about it. Um, <sighs> so, yeah, people had <laughs> we, we have we have some mixed feelings amongst us about this book. Uh, so I'll I'll let um, Don't kill me. <laughs> I'll let Linda go first and give her overall impression of the book.
2: Well, I probably should confess I didn't read the entire book. Um. God, how dare you! <laughs> oh. Um. Oh. So, like I said, don't spoil the ending. I just got to the 2015 playoff. So, <laughs> I hope it's a happy ending. Um uh-huh. <laughs> But But, I mean, I've been talking to you guys about it. You did tell me it did get better, and it does. But for anybody who's considering reading this book, start on, like, a chapter, like, I don't even know. Like after he makes his debut, after I want to say maybe like the 2013 ish chapter, mm-hmm. like because literally nothing happens up to that point and it's god awful. <laughs> 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 like, like one of the worst books I've ever read. Oof. Awful. Like, Oof. literally like, I was bored reading it, because let's let's face facts, David Wright is not an interesting person. Mm. Um, As much as I love David, you know, I was there sobbing, you know, I wrote articles for Mason Avenue, cried while writing them. My first jersey was uh, was David Wright, Um, you know, like when I was in college, I always had to make sure I parked in parking space number five because that's how I knew it would be a good day. Um, like just completely <laughs> like, you know, superstitious. But, you know, it's, it was like, I got a hit. Yay. I love the, the Mets. Yay. I love baseball. Yay. Like he goes into no detail about anything. And nice to probably get, understand it's probably a product that his memories aren't as good From, like, maybe earlier in the career. Like, obviously, 2015 is more recent. He's probably going to remember those more. Um, Mm. Yeah, there's, like, no anecdotes. There's nothing about teammates. Like, you literally find out nothing. Like, Mm. there's no substance. There's no narrative. Um, Yeah, like... I would have given it two stars (laughs) on Goodreads. Um, I would have given it one, but out of respect to David, I would give it two. (laughs) (laughs) um, I'm not completely done with it. So maybe it does, you know, finally pick up. Cause you know, you know, the rehab stuff, you're right. It it did get interesting. Um, But yeah, it's a slog, man, until you get to that point. But then, you know, you do pick up little things like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, that happened. Like, oh, yeah. But it's just like you inserting your own memories into the book. It's not him discussing it. Like,
3: Mm. there's
2: no setting the scene. There's no talking about the atmosphere that you like. You have to put yourself and your own memories in the book like somebody who's not a mess fan should not read this book because they're learning absolutely nothing no i mm-hmm. would not uh, recommend this to no not mess i would fan. not and i will say i it. wouldn't I was, do it either
1: i was probably no, the it's, high it's, person no. on this book of the three of us that i still wouldn't recommend it to someone who's not interested in this no
2: it's not content. for the lay baseball fan because like i said you have to have these memories in order to i think like connect with it and feel something and um except
3: like for me Uh, Sorry, I'm kind of
2: like taking over. Yeah, like uh, like, my own memories
3: feel like very much more substantive than his.
2: Yeah, like I can, and I'm coming from a,
3: a a fan perspective. So, like I can
2: tell you a story. Like I always sat down the third baseline to, you know, always watch right play. Like I can tell you. Like I said, I parked in parking spot number five. He can't. I don't know if it was a product of Decomo's writing because he's not a storyteller. He's a reporter. Hmm. Um, like there's just no, you know, I, building I it up a, and putting
3: you there. I think it's a combination of both. Yeah, like yeah. both. Uh, he's he's not an interesting person. And and Decomo not a, a, a storyteller. I,
1: it's interesting because going in, I didn't I didn't expect that to be a criticism that I or anyone else would have of this book of like De is not the right person for this. But now I do feel that way Um because I. I didn't. I guess I didn't think about the fact that like he's trained as a reporter and not as an like as a storyteller or novelist or anything. And so like I think that that comes through here and it makes the book very shallow in part. Yeah. Um, yes. But like like to me like I, I was talking to my dad about this recently and I was like, who convinced him that he needed to write a book because this mm, could have yeah. been like. This yeah. could have been like a a like long form feature in the athletic and been like actually a lot better
3: because yeah, yeah.
1: it would have packed in more in like a shorter instead, they dragged out like very shallow details across a whole book and it made it seem like very very shallow, like you guys have been saying. And so I'm wondering like. Why was this a book instead of just a long form piece in The Athletic, which Takomo or Tacoma is obviously not a writer for The Athletic. It could have been a long form piece for MLB dot com, whatever. But like that would have been much better. And Takomo would have been a good writer for that. But instead, like yeah. it's it's a book and he's not the right person for it, even though he probably is as close to this subject matter as anyone.
2: Well, but you don't get that sense saying, from it. no. No, and he and throughout the whole book he's like, you know, I hate being the center of attention. I hate being the center of attention. That, see, like, well, then why'd you write a whole? Why'd you of write book? this?
3: But see, I felt that way. It, it, and I. Oh my god, I'm bringing a comparison to Jeter into this. It felt, like during Jeter's final season, people were calling him like, oh, he's humble. Oh, he's great. Meantime, he's taking this like national tour. Yeah, glorified.
2: Tour, like, yeah. Uh, glorified
3: <laughs> Yeah. T- farewell torn like and and with these commercials like I forget was it Nike or Adidas I forget I forget which um athletic brand uh, well he had the he, he did retro- the Ford
1: he did the Ford commercials but I think that was before he retired
3: yeah no but there was a specific like goodbye commercial from one oh of yeah the, the Nike athletic- the, I yes. think it was Nike it was Nike yeah I, I think it was Nike too I just couldn't remember if it was Nike or Adidas um where it's just all these plays and stuff. And I want to say there was like something about humble humility or humbleness in that commercial, but whatever, that whole season was just very self-centered to me. And that I got that same exact feeling of ickiness reading this book. (laughs) he's, He's a much more, and obviously the thousand athletes, baseball athletes that make it to the major leagues every year are going to have ginormous ass egos. They're going to be selfish. However, I thought there was a, a different layer to David that this book changed my perception
2: on 100%. So. Um, yeah. To me, it's still David Wright in a book interested, like, book form. Like, you're not getting anything of substance. He's not gonna say anything bad about anybody. Yeah, that's the
1: thing, is like you he's yeah. Not, yeah, he's not gonna trash talk. Like, that's yeah. the thing, it's is like you want if you want something spicy, this is not it. If you want something spicy, no. this is not it. You're not gonna come here what? for a, any sort of spice because it's David Wright, he's too nice, I guess. Yeah, to ever Did say anything bad about being... the will ponds or like anything, even the part, because. No cuz even the part where like even the part where um the They're infamous not a superstar
2: yeah, yeah the
1: infamous not a superstar mm-hmm. interview like Wright's reaction to that is very mild. It's like, he's like, uh, he was like, I admit that it hurt my feelings a little bit, but I was like,
2: oh my God, <laughs> come he's on. He's like, I know Fred and he was just frustrated. And he to thought back to all the nice things he had done for me, like when my grandmother died and he hugged me. <laughs> like, oh, come on.
1: But I mean, uh. like,
2: honestly though, like-
1: I think so. I originally rated this four on Goodreads, but I knocked it down to a three because I think a lot of the things that you're saying, I don't necessarily disagree with any of them. So I do think that I overrated it at first out of respect for David, Um, but I will hold fast to my three because I think for me, and this is, this just might be the way that like I rate, like how I approach like rating books or like, you know, media in general. But for me, it's like an expectations minus reality sort of thing. And like, I did not actually expect this to be all that good to begin with. So I was sort of like, this about (laughs) met my expectations. Three stars, like three stars is like, this is fine. Like met my expectations, whatever. This is what I thought this was going to be. Versus a four would have been like exceeded expectations and a five would have been like blew my expectations away and two would have been below expectations and one would have been way below expectations, you know? So I was like, you know, like sports biographies, they're almost all like this. Like there are ones that are not (laughs) not that deep.
2: Ron there Darling are- complete game. Ron, Dar-
0: like,
1: Ron Darlings. Ron was good. Ronnie killed it. Yeah, Ron Darlings was good, and R. A. Dickies was good. So I think that we have like we're spoiled a little bit in the other ones that we've yeah. read, but like there are a <sighs> dime a dozen sports biographies yes. out there that are exactly like this. And I mean, the, and not it does not of them
3: not just sports biographies. This is like all celebrity memoirs, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. In a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. I think particularly athletes have like a tendency to like put out these like platitude sort of boring, like books like this where that have that basically like read like motivational posters that are basically like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try your best and you can make it. And like, things were hard, but you know, I worked hard at it and it turned out okay. I loved my teammates and my coaches. Like (laughs) it's just very like, it's very like, um, like Hallmark movie,
3: Hallmark sports movie-esque. I mean, even on the shallow of being nice it was frustrating because he really didn't delve into the relationships with any of his teammates. Exactly.
2: No. I mean, not even,
3: even even Jose Reyes, he dedicated a little bit of time to that, but even that I got the impression that they were not as good of friends as the media made them out to be.
2: Yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. That was the impression
3: I was left with, especially after um, he said, Oh, I found out about Reyes signing with the Marlins online. Yeah. yeah, and it's, like, it's, oh. it's interesting hmm. because
1: I there, there were certain relationships that I felt like, oh, maybe in real life they were less close than it seemed, like Reyes and Piazza specifically, which Piazza, I know Linda yeah. mentions, that there's very little about Mike Piazza in this book, which is interesting, and, but there were certain other ones that I felt were the opposite direction. I mean, I don't think he dealt, he didn't delve too deeply, too, too deeply into any of his relationships with teammates but there were a couple that I felt like were the opposite of how the media portrayed it particularly Matt Harvey I like the media portrayed that relationship is very contentious I thought at times like because they they have very different personalities David Wright is you know the perennial leader like never get your nose dirty never say anything bad about anyone like quiet like you know, say the right things to the yeah, media. Yeah, not about the
2: nightlife or anything. Yeah, not I
1: literally. He, he writes in the book about how he like never went out.
2: <laughs> I'm yeah. not about that
1: nightlife and stuff like I that. I don't know
3: if I buy that.
1: I was like, oh, come on. But whatever. But yeah, like
3: your 24 year old bachelor especially, in New York City. Especially, come on. I, th- I think there's that picture of him at the bar, uh, like pouring drinks or something like that. Really? Yeah, there definitely is. At least he went
1: at least once. Come on! But but like you know, he didn't have a reputation of that. No. Um, he kept his nose clean at all times, whereas Harvey, obviously, very different in that regard. He and you know. it only it only matters to the extent that it affected the team, which happened once or twice. But other than that, it's like, you know, do whatever you want. You're a young bachelor living in New York. Live the life you want to live. Sure. But like they were very different people in that regard. And, and and I think that the media portrayed it like, you know, at times David Wright was frustrated with Matt Harvey in the way that he conducted himself and things like that. But the book and I don't know if that's if that's true. And Wright just glossed over it in the book because he didn't want to draw controversy or whatever. But The way he talked about Matt Harvey in this book, particularly in the section about his innings limit, hitting his innings limit in 2015, um, when, you know, Harvey at first was trying was going to pull the plug on his season because he was hitting his innings limit and he faced a lot of backlash for that because people thought that he was being selfish. The Mets were in a playoff run. um, But he was trying to think of his health and coming back from Tommy John surgery. And he was trying to make that decision. Um, And David Wright does recall like a conversation that they had about it. And he, he, he goes out of his way to say, like, I know people thought that we like, you know, had a contentious relationship, but I was actually really close with Matt Harvey and we would go golfing and like stuff like that. So I found that interesting because I, I, I think that's something I didn't know.
3: At the At same time, I, I was very surprised that he did not mention anything about the 2013 All Star game that Harvey started. There it was. Were-
2: yeah, yeah, barely. barely he anything. didn't mention Harvey okay. started that game. Yeah, I mean, he oh, talked, I about talked about he talked about playing in it. He but talked he didn't about, yeah, talk he, about he, it. he talked about no,
3: I meant he talked about playing in it. But there was like barely any mention. See, I didn't, I miss, I completely missed that one sentence. Mention
2: that's like very shallow. Like Tom Suffer yes. and Mike Piazza were there, and he mentioned zero of that. Yeah,
0: okay. it
2: it's actually. Like,
1: the teammate that he, the teammate that he talks about the most in this entire book is Joe McEwing, um, which I <laughs> found interesting too.
2: I think Beltran. Beltran he talked
1: about a lot, yeah. um, but it like but Joe actually, McEwing was the big one. This, this book yeah. made me miss Joe
2: McEwing in a way I didn't expect. I was like, oh damn, I miss Joe McEwing. He was great. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I love Super Joe, but that that kind of bothered me. Like maybe it's only me. Like maybe it's only a sentimental fan thing that we have like even when we did the like the ultimate millennium tournament um we broke it down into brackets and it we ended up being five-year brackets and it ended up working out perfectly because it ended up being the Piazza era, the David Wright era, then it was like the Santana era, and then the Jacob de Gram era. So it's like it was perfect the way that works out. And so it's like, you know, there's always that passing of the baton, like, you know, went from Piazza to Wright and then Santana, and now you know Jacob de Gram. And so maybe it's just us that needs that. But like he was there for my Piazza's last game as a Met. And I was like, and he never mentions that. Like, you don't say, like, how that impressed you as a rookie to see this. The team was going nowhere in 4 And yet, the Shea Stadium was packed to say goodbye to Mike Piazza. And cheering and chanting his name and, like, just an endless curtain call. And he doesn't mention that only because it was like, you were there to see one of the greatest Mets of all time get a send-off as a rookie. Only for you to become one of the greatest Mets of all time to get your own send off. And you don't mention it. I was like, there's a narrative there. There's a story there, but then you spend a whole like two pages on the clubhouse saying goodbye to Joe McEwing after he was cut. I was like, so that stuck with you, but not 55,000 cheering fans for Mike
3: Piazza. That, That makes me wonder about the dynamic between them because I sort of got the impression. And then again, just speculation, just an impression that Piazza obviously was that in the, in the twilight of his career and David was in the dawn of his career. So I like, I just from Piazza's perspective, he's seeing this young superstar potential superstar come up and maybe was still kind of coming to terms with his own baseball
2: mortality. And the champion, like David Wright was probably the annoying like golden retriever puppy. That yes. was like, yay, baseball, yay. And I also,
1: and I and also, like, they, they don't, don't have, that.
2: that's interesting. And they don't have a whole lot in common
1: as far as like yeah. how they came up. Like it's very different story. Piazza was yeah. not a prospect with the pedigree that David no. Wright. Had.
2: David no, Wright was God, a no. first
1: round draft pick bonus baby who, you know, Piazza was like a nobody who ended up becoming a huge star beyond his station. Um, so I think it's just very different. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I think that, I think the reason why he emphasizes Joe McEwing so much is because I think that it was like, and, and he says this in the book that like, it was kind of the first moment that like the reality of like, oh, just because you like a guy doesn't mean he's not going to get cut or traded. Like that was like the first time yeah. that really hit him as a player because he was so new at that point. Um so I think that that's why that that really stuck with him is because it was like a formative moment for him to realize that like oh yeah that's right like this is a business and like guys I like get cut and traded and stuff and I'm gonna have to deal with that.
2: But, but like it's like but like we said there's no talking about any of the relationships like even if he had a bad relationship with tell me that. That's interesting. Well, I mean, he's not—he's obviously
3: he's not even going to say anything bad. But like, I no. thought there'd be maybe more of like jokester type stories, yeah, how they pranking at each other, maybe. But no,
2: nothing. So, did tell, he did tell the story about the one how guy he pranked, in the minors, yeah, yeah, how he yeah. pranked, yeah,
3: in the minors, but not like very little in the majors. He was about
2: minor them, league, like coach or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and he talked about. um. He talked a lot about, like, playing cards with, like, the group of guys that he always played cards with. But that was, like, a different thing. Um, And there's a picture of it.
2: Yeah, there is. (laughs) Yeah, there was a picture. Including Jason Bay, which was funny. (laughs) Yeah. I hate not have any Pedro Martinez stories. One of the most brilliant minds to play baseball. And, like, Pedro was like, oh, we signed Pedro. Then Pedro got hurt. And those and are one the the, of no- one
1: of the most fun guys to be around I
2: imagine. To be around. Like a brilliant baseball mind. One of the like one of the best pitchers ever to play baseball. And just like you said one of the best characters and the only two mentions are we signed Pedro that off season, but then Pedro got hurt so we didn't have him for the playoffs. And those are the only two mentions. Pedro See, Martinez I was say, to.
3: We have more of a narrative of Jacob DeGrom and Pedro Martinez pedro martinez's relationship well, pedro loves jake just just from interviews and no and degrom credits martinez with turning his season around in oh i forget when i forget the conversation but yeah we know oh, about right. that is yes. what i'm saying and he and pedro introduced him i think for his first cy young when he was awarded it yeah i mean yes. like yes. they yes. they have a public Relationship where Degrom obviously respects him and picks his mind. So uh, you, you, there was nothing of that sort, other than really Joe McEwing with Wright
2: and Cliff Floyd a little bit. Cliff and Dave, I always knew were close. Yeah, they they were definitely and friends he, for sure. And he, yeah, and he definitely mentions Cliff, but it's not anything like deep. It's not anything mm. you w- like you wouldn't expect. Like, oh yeah, Cliff played pranks on him. We knew that. Like. <sighs>
1: Actually, there the, much like, much to Michael's chagrin, there's a lot of uh, Michael Kadiar content. Michael
3: Kadiar! Michael Kadiar! I was thinking of that, and I was like, oh, man. I, I, I kept, to, like,
1: the whole time I was reading, I kept being like, hey, Michael, look, it's Michael Kadiar, and he kept being like, leave me alone, stop it. <laughs> look, oh, it's
2: Michael Kadiar. I
3: mean, we need to pull up was, some of those comments. Oh, those were great stories.
2: I was thinking of okay, bored, you- though. When he was going through the 2015 season, I'm like is he just never going to mention Kadair? I was like, they just, they signed your buddy finally, and you're not even going to mention it? No, nope. <laughs> I mean, I think it'd be different if Kadair did anything. <laughs> like, finally, I think he said, like, in his first game back, like, uh, Kadair was there to greet him. And he's like, oh, yeah, they signed him that offseason. I'm like, after all that, Kadair became <laughs> an aftersign. You no, know, he got so much play early in the book, and then when the Mets finally signed him, I didn't talk
1: yes, about nope. it at all. <laughs> Zilch. Yes. It's because he oh, didn't. God. I think it would have been different if Godire had been like good on the Mets.
2: Good, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but still, yeah, because then he talked about how he picked him for the home run derby in 2013, and how that was a controversial like pick. Yeah, guess, yeah.
3: Like, oh, there was more detail about
2: that than about them being teammates.
3: It's <laughs> wild. The, the the that That's really what it is. The dynamics of this book are not, I guess, what you expected. Yeah, it's which kind which which is is weird. It, it could have been a good thing, but again, it was very shallow.
2: The only so Wait, it just
3: it pri- just comes off as odd.
2: But if he's a private person, then don't write a freaking. Book. I know. That's exactly.
3: I
1: going back to like, who convinced him to write this book? Because. I think, honestly, like, I know, Kellyanne, you were talking about, like, it comes off jittery, and I hate that because I don't think that's actually who he is. And, yeah. like, yeah. It, like I think that this, this, like, almost, I can almost feel his discomfort with doing this through this yes. book, through the pages of this book. Like, I can feel it emanating off of the book. And like, like, wasn't, it doesn't make for good reading the The only anecdote that he that I actually like maybe chuckle, like laugh out loud was um, and I don't know, Linda, this might be beyond where you got to. I can't remember, but I think it's, it is yeah it's toward the end of the book. there it's after he needs I, I think it must be after because like so he had the spinal he had the spinal <laughs> stenosis. and then after that, so this is kind of like there were two there were two kind of bits in in my mind that were like sort of interesting insight that delve deeper than just like, you know, this happened and this happened and this happened, which was most of the book. Um, I thought the most interesting parts of this book were where he got into like really his mental struggles. And there were kind of two sections where that happened. The first section is where he talks about the mental effects of getting hit in the head by Matt Cain. which was rough to read because I was there. And so that brought back a lot of like hor- horrific memories of watching David Wright drop like a sack of potatoes and like crying. Cause I thought he was dead. And um, yeah,
3: not move for- and not
1: move for like a whole minute. Um, And his, it, he said his mom cried too. And I was just like, yeah, I would yeah. cry. I, I cried.
3: <laughs> if I saw my child laying prone and not moving and, I- muscle. Yeah, I'd be crying. So he talked a lot about um, like the
1: after effects of that and how it like kind of messed him up mentally for a while. But the second part, obviously, it, that was, you know, interesting in the same regard was talking about, you know, the mental struggles of being injured and his rehab process from the stenosis. So he goes into the 2015 season with the stenosis. But then after that, um, he manages to come back, as we know, during the 2015 season. But then he eventually needs three surgeries in 17 months. And the first of those, I believe, was the neck surgery. Yeah. Um, he needed the neck surgery. And he tells the story about, like, really soon after he got the neck surgery, he had to go. He was going to City Field, I guess, like to do his like PT rehab stuff. And um, he had and DeGrom and he often carpooled to the ballpark. And so DeGrom picked him up and he said, like, seriously, you can't drive too fast because like I just got neck surgery. So you can't like drive too fast. And so DeGrom <laughs> was going 20 oh, no. miles an hour on the FDR drive and and <laughs> and, and right tells the story about how like cars were like beeping at him and they were, like, <laughs> at him and stuff like that on the highway not realizing that's literally Jacob DeGrom <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> so i thought that was pretty <laughs> funny even if it was jacob deGraw, they would still flip them off oh yeah the, it's new york they definitely would and i think wright said that said, like maybe they knew it was jacob de maybe they didn't but i don't think their reaction would be any different either way <laughs> um no, so that's to go moving yeah 20 miles an hour on the fdr drive good lord <laughs> um, Well, at least he,
3: he at least he listened mm-hmm yeah, I don't know. Was being safe. Yeah, like it's
1: funny because like the way that Wright like describes it, or decomo describes it through Wright, um, it's it's unclear whether like Degrom is just like nervous and taking it super seriously, or whether he's like trolling or him. yeah, or being a troll. Yeah, yeah I, it's yeah. hard to say. I mean,
3: I would, I would, I would guess no, okay, speculation. I, being a joke. I think both, probably both.
2: Yeah, like, I would say, like, he probably legitimately didn't want to do anything to get David Wright hurt, but he probably took it to the extreme. Yes.
1: All right, I can't drive too fast. How's this?
2: Um, (laughs) I'm just going to be grandma. But, yeah, I mean. (laughs) He didn't know what to do that. He'd have to have the right turn signal on the entire time.
1: (laughs) Very funny. (laughs) Yeah, he really, yeah, that really would have been it.
3: Um, <laughs> but just kind of going, kind of going back to the start of this, well, not the start of the stenosis. No, actually it, it can be considered the start of the stenosis in 2011, where he, um, initially was injured on that play with, with Lee. Um, he said he, and he, his back was fractured.
0: Yeah.
1: he fractured uh, yeah. his back.
3: He fractured his back and did not say anything for a month, which I mean, kudos to him for for having this attitude of trying to power through the pain.
2: There's a lot of that in this
3: book. There is a lot of that in this book. And it it made me want to like slap him upside the head. However, that's not, obviously that was a bugaboo, but the big bugaboo was when he said he had gotten checked up by Dr. Robert Watkins after the Lee uh, collision. And um, he was... Watkins probably like gave him the the all clear i guess or wait let me let me look um he received he, i received a checkup in Los Angeles with final expert Dr. Robert Watkins whom i liked and trusted enough to head back to for a second opinion 4 years later so that first time around Dr. Watkins didn't catch this fractured back that that concerns me a little bit
2: yeah, no i think I he know. did but they just thought it had healed I, I, I don't know, because I mean he was diagnosed with a fractured back, so somebody caught it. Yeah,
1: <sighs> but like it's it's it, the the like powering through the pain, like really. I mean, it's a theme throughout this book of like he takes great pride in like not going on the injured list um, yeah. in his career. Yeah. And like, and Lindy, I think you made the note, like it is actually remarkable looking back at how healthy he was earlier in his career. Yeah. Like you don't appreciate that really.
2: That, he like, was there like every day. Cause when you think and about David Wright.
1: When you think about David Wright's career, you think about the stenosis and its premature end, but you don't think about, like, how he literally played, like, every single game before that, basically.
2: I think he Um, said in, I think it was 2006, 2007, he played 160 games. Yeah,
1: which is wild. Yeah.
2: Um, Yeah. So
1: there's a lot of him, like, taking pride in the fact that, like, he was not on the injured list and, like, playing through, like, minor injuries. But that really comes to a head like in the aftermath of the stenosis because he like reading about how much pain he was in in the aftermath of those three surgeries in 17 months was heartbreaking honestly yeah. Because it, like basically there were times where he his wife had to tie his shoes for him because he couldn't oh. bend over to tie his shoe like and he and like that's the point where I'm kind of like are like bro are you insane and he like talks about how like he like uh, he didn't tell them that's how bad it was like he he was like oh if I told them how bad the pain was like I knew my career would be over I was like yeah your career was yeah. over <laughs> like, like
3: how I mean, he is insane.
1: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> there's no
3: other way to say that. he order to is- kind of bananas to try and power through that and to fight that. And there's part of that that you admire, that I admire. But again, there's another bigger part that's just like, man, come on. Like, face, seriously? Face, face the facts, face
2: reality. Yeah, but I'm I sorry. He was an athlete, this is all he knew. To have to, yeah. like, to have From to give that to up. And didn't he always said, I always thought I would retire Matt and go out on my own terms. So to, yeah. it's probably hard to come to grips with that. It. It's not. You're, you know, no, it's and not a no fairytale ending that you're going to get. Yeah. But
3: I, I think it just, it just harkens back to that original fractured back injury that kind of started all this. He just well, he did, said, he said, he,
2: said, he, said he said in the beginning that, um, the way that's it healed, where it started. he already had, yeah, he said Um, he already had a a narrowing of the spine canal and then to heal the fracture braid widens. so then that made the spine thinner than it already was yeah so then he has to he had to do all those exercises to like strengthen the core so that way it would support the spine better but it just
1: didn't work yeah and then eventually he, he did have to face the music and the last part of the book talks about, um, you know, setting sort of figuring out exactly when the right moment was to have his last game. Um, And and like I thought the most touching moment in this book was when he talks about that and like setting it up perfectly, like obviously you want to do it at home. Um, And then he talked about how he didn't want to play his final game behind Jacob de Gram because he didn't want to make an error in the field and hurt the Grom's chances of winning the Cy Young, which I was like, oh, my God. Oh. It's heartbreaking like uh, he knew he physically couldn't field I, and he said yeah. like during his last like he talked about this in the chapter where he talks about his last game about how like he was like praying that they wouldn't hit the ball to him he was like please yeah. don't hit the ball to me please don't but didn't hit the ball they, I thought they, they did, did yes. yeah. yeah. One, didn't one, yeah. one grounder yeah he did
2: and he fielded it cleanly yeah. I he fielded it yes. cleanly he did
3: <laughs> I, I think the other fortunate thing that made that possible. That final game was that the Mets, the Metsies was lost at that point.
2: Yeah. yeah. It didn't um,
3: if they were like, say in a wild card race, that couldn't have happened.
1: Yeah. And he talked about that in the sense that, cause obviously the Mets weren't contending anymore, but he said he, he specifically didn't want to play the Braves because they were contending. And he yeah. didn't want to like impact like the playoff race in any way. So he purposefully picked the Marlins because the Marlins Ugh. were also not contending
3: the Marlins stuff the But then that Marlins. game ended
2: up being a a very stereotypical just... Mets Marlins <sighs> game.
3: Oh,
2: this is the game that wouldn't end. Oh my god. And we I everybody was just end like come on, on friend. End. Come on. I had end. to I had to
1: leave before the end. No. I will oh. forever be mad. Well, because okay, so like the only way I could go to that game Normally, you know, like it it, normally, so I was in grad school still at the time at Hopkins and I had a roommate, um, in Baltimore and we had a dog and normally we, it it almost never became a problem because we almost never would like go out of town on the same weekend. So it didn't matter, but this time we both were. And so like, I had to take the dog with me, um, because she was, I forget, like on vacation or something. So I had to take the dog with me. So the dog was back home at my parents' house, like in the, like without anyone there, like she was home by herself. Oh. And so I couldn't leave her, there. like she had to go to the bathroom. She, I had to let her out. She couldn't like stay there that that long. So I was like, because we had already had to like drive out there and drive back. So I was like, oh Christ. I was like, we can't, uh, we had to leave before it was over, because I was like, I can't leave the dog any longer. Like, we have to go yeah. home. Um, otherwise, I would have been well, able Well, because
2: to- I remember, it was probably around, like, I want to say, like, the 12th inning, because I was sitting out in like, down the left field line, like, not where it, like, turns, where you're, like, in left field, like, you're still, I was kind of, like, near where the retired numbers are, but, like, in foul territory instead of like where the home run territory is in the upper deck and the people in like like in my like right beyond the left field wall i remember they all just started chanting we want fireworks we want fireworks <laughs> fireworks night and we are wait. we're waiting for david right we're waiting for fireworks it's like come on we're never getting out of here yeah right Ugh. I don't can't remember. And I worked that day. I'm like, I am so tired. I got there late because we hit traffic because I couldn't, like, I worked until four o'clock, didn't get home until like five. So we left around five, hit traffic. So I didn't get there until after his first at bat and then so I only so then like my two friends I was with my brother and my two my friend and her fiance at the time who's now husband and so he's like well at least we're getting our full nine innings since we missed the first one <laughs> 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 was like well true we got our full game in but I'm like I'm so tired I just want to go home
3: <laughs> <laughs> Linda I feel between. very fortunate about every part of that game that I was at. Because I was, I was at the whole brutal thing. I was going to say, Linda, I between think,
1: the two of us, we saw the whole thing. <laughs> we did. That's
3: true. We did. <laughs> um, I, ugh. And I, I had, and- well, not front row seats, but I was along the first baseline. I think I was in, what, section 110? So I was right in front of when Peter O'Brien caught the damn foul oh. ball and we were all screaming, drop it, drop it, drop it! <gasps> And then we were like booing him when he caught it. Ugh. But well, anyway, it like- I got, I had all these videos of of right warming up, and I have this really cute yeah, one I that I love of him. Uh, this really cute one of him kissing Olivia Shea on the cheek. I was like, and I'm like saying, oh, in the minute, I make this like really inhuman, weird sound. But um, yeah, it was, it was a very emotional game. But by the time that game hit, what? I think can't remember i think it lasted how many innings the 13th 13th I, think. 13th I think yeah um well by the time we hit the 12th we were getting frustrated and we just wanted to see david right come out and do a That's speech what we were at saying, at okay, point. i don't
2: care at this point just end yeah, it.
3: just end it
2: i don't care well, and then also i remember um you said you know i was with my brother and then it was the fifth inning, and I remember hearing my brother say, No, don't take him out. And I was like, What? Because I wasn't, you know, I'm just like caught up in it. And all of a sudden, I see him starting to walk across the, the, the field. Yeah. I'm like, No, you see I'm not ready.
3: Yeah I, yeah.
2: I, See, I feel like he could
3: have stayed in for one more at But that. I think they wanted the symbolism of the fifth
2: inning. And- but yeah, right, I mean, they Wright,
1: did. Wright also talked about that in the book briefly about how, like, yeah. He, his initial instinct was to like fight to stay in the game, like for another at bat. But he knew that like, this is like the length of time that he had prepared for. And like yeah. it takes yeah. so much to like prepare for the game. And like, you know, at that stage where he like could barely move anymore. And so like, yeah. he knew it was best to like go to, out to, at
3: to that go point. out that way. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, and also can I just say Cities field is an absolute disaster at the end of the year with pack games. I'm like, how did they ever have a world series? Like they had no people working the concessions. There was no parking anywhere. It's like, how did they host a World Series? Well, I here? think
3: that, well, there was the expectation. I think th- it was a winning season. So they were in the playoffs. So of course they're going to be more prepared for it rather than in yeah. a losing but season. You
2: had to know this game is going to be sold out. Yeah. But I, who knows? I waited. I missed three full innings waiting for a hot one hot dog. And then I Ugh. get back to my seat and I just got a bun. There was no hot dog in my bun.
3: Oh, my oh God. No.
2: <laughs> and I hadn't eaten because I went straight from work. So all I had was a little Dunkin' Donuts, like a little like bagel in the morning. So I hadn't eaten since 10 o'clock. I was so hungry. So my friend and then I was waiting in line. And like I said, my friend was engaged at the time and the woman in front of me was one of the consultants on say yes to the dress. I was like, oh my god, it's Christiana. So am I trying to sneak a picture of her? Go to her and go get a dress. <laughs> oh my gosh. And That's she, really funny. My friend was so drunk too. <laughs> I was like, well, at least I have entertainment while waiting on my line for just a freaking hot dog. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my god! The only
2: advantage of leaving yeah, early the- is that we didn't sit in the traffic leaving the stadium. There was no traffic when we left because everybody had left. Like and they didn't want to wait around for the. There, there really wasn't a lot of people there at the end. It, it wasn't a full. I mean, there was. It was there was still a good crowd, but it was nowhere close to like because the because David Wright came out and then they played the fireworks. So I think after David left, a lot of people left there and didn't stay for the yeah because it was already late yeah
3: no yeah i have the yeah i have pictures it it wasn't
2: <laughs> i'm like looking,
3: yeah. I'm looking at the pictures no it wasn't full at all
2: no it didn't take a to get out at all thankfully that was like the one mercy of the day <laughs> I was not sitting in traffic leaving but like um yeah they need to do something they gotta figure that out for when they when they have a big crowd because it's an absolute nightmare trying to get in and out of there. Well, I hopefully things will improve now that there's a new owner. I still yep. I DVR'd the game and I still haven't been able to watch it. Like I can I, when they did when
3: they did the uhlog this but last month of, of his game. I was like, really, you choose that game as the uhlog? Yeah, <laughs> really, <laughs> that you play over and over? You just want to
2: make us sad over and over again? <laughs> I was okay, and, and then like. I was kind of getting wrapped up in the moment, like, I was like, okay, I want to remember this. So I'm like, you know, trying to, like, take visual pictures in my mind. And then I heard the Captain America theme, and I just screamed out, they're playing the Captain America theme, and just started stomping, like, why did they do that to me? <laughs> and then, yeah, that's when I lost, is when I realized it was the Captain America theme they were playing, as they seemed as was walking off the field. And I still, anytime I hear Colin Cosell, I always associate his voice because he was the one who was on the PA that day. Yeah. Ugh. He did a good job. I I even tweeted at him, like, you did a good job of bouncing. he was like, I was so nervous. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, I didn't want to screw it up. (laughs)
3: But anyway, going back because this turned into like all of our memories too, which our memories have more substance than this book. Thank you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's like so, so. Kind of my overall thoughts on this were just it's very still to your writing. Again, going back yeah, to there's no flaw. Anth- Anthony DiComo is is a good baseball writer. He is. He is not a great <laughs> storyteller or good at yeah. memoir writing. Sorry, sorry, Anthony. I don't mean to. <laughs> Dissue you, but like,
2: say, like, you're good at MLB.com, but again, like he works for MLB.com. Like he doesn't do hard-hitting journalism. Like
3: Yeah.
2: He's used to writing like these like he wrote about the cookie club, which was fantastic. Like that's like there there's but they're like, lighter you know, pieces. Yeah, they're lighter pieces, and there's absolutely room for those. But like if you want like more, then you're you're like that's just not his forte let's put it that way yes but like (sighs) i don't know like part of me kind of wonders if this was a favor to him like like if david wright could have chosen who would wrote it if he like i don't know i don't again
3: i agree with your assessment that this was not a book that needed to be written (laughs) no no
2: like not everybody's interesting. They're just not like, no, I'm not going to write a biography about myself. Nobody cares.
3: <laughs> I, d- I disagree. I care. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Maddie will have like five chapters. Alter actually, no,
3: I was going to say, no, actually, I don't care about you. I care about
2: Maddie. Okay. I'll write a book about Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> Madison shake. I the library. kitty. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh I think yeah. that my um I think I've decided that my end goal in this life is to um live a life such that I don't ever feel the need to write a book about it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good conclusion to draw here. No one wants to read
1: my memoir, and my goal in life is for that to remain the case. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> If I if if I write a memoir, guys. If, if if in the fe- in my future life, if like you know, a f- like twenty years down the line, if I tell one of you that I'm writing a memoir, remind me of like this Allison, conversation. No. and remind me that something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. <laughs> uh, we'll
2: just pull up this episode and be like, Allison, listen. You said at <laughs> <laughs> like an hour in. Listen at the one said- hour mark. <laughs> Um,
1: anyway, I, like, I don't know. I, I, like, I'm trying to, like, think about, like, what I would say to the question, like, would you recommend this book? And the answer is probably mostly no. But, like, if you, if you're a Mets fan who, like, specifically, like, if you go into this with no expectations and you're, like, a diehard Mets fan, then it's probably fine. But otherwise...
2: Yeah, like recommend. a casual fan you're not gonna get it no of- you're not gonna like Mm-mm. this it's like, very it's a very boring
1: sanitized sports biography mm-hmm. and that's just what it is
2: yes. <laughs> it is what like, it is if that's what you yeah. want
1: a sports biography you want fluff that's yeah. what this is and sure it's fine
2: because i read ron darling's it wasn't the complete game i read 19 game seven, uh, game seven. or
3: yeah. a 108 stitches
2: no, it was Game 7. Okay. And um, he takes you in the mind of a pitcher and how what he was thinking, how he wanted to attack these guys, what they had done off him previously. So he, like, really took you into the chess match and, like, how, like, just how cerebral baseball is which is perfect for ronnie but like i guess not everybody's ronnie like he really brought you onto that pitcher's mound with him but david wright does not bring you into the batter's box with him it's like i got a hit yay i was
3: was gonna say you know what to to zing david it's i wonder if it's because of that lack of college education showing there (laughs) as he zinged to grom for that (laughs) <laughs> Which I know it's an inside joke, but it bothered me yeah, so that was, much.
1: That was mean. I thought I—I I know he was just trying to be funny, but I thought that was mean. It's for, so mean. For context, for those of you who haven't read this book, there's a yes. line. There's a line in there, and this is actually toward the end, um, because you know, uh, after David Wright like announced to everyone that you know he was retiring and it was going to be his final game in September, like obviously, like a lot of guys like got him gifts and like gave him like little like. Tokens to show them how much they appreciated his leadership and stuff like that um, and his friendship as teammates. And so, like, I guess, like, there was a group of them that, like, went in on a gift and Jacob deGrom was the one that was giving him the gift. And I guess, like, you know, Jake is not a man of many words. And so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is, the, which is the nicer way to put this than what David Wright said. Um, Jake is not a man of many sure. words. So like, I think he was like trying to give some sort of like, you know,
3: emotional speech, but he sort he of was tried like, to, he tried to make a little speech, but didn't do so well. Stopping <laughs> mid sentence and shoving the gift into my hand here. Just take this box. He'd said, maybe it was the emotion getting to everyone, or maybe it was Degrom's 2.0 GPA at Stetson. That wasn't letting him find the right words.
2: I was like, Aww.
3: dude, he just called a <sighs> girl. a dumbass.
1: Like yeah. that's not very nice. I was like, and you I was didn't like, go to
3: college. <laughs> I was like, like I'm sure it was an inside joke or something, but in print, reading someone who, as an outsider to their friendship, that comes off as so mega rude and elitist, like, and, <laughs> that, and that elitist, and it stuck in my cross so much. Oh, geez. Like, like you didn't I even don't, go to college. I don't, I was going to say, I don't like when people who, I was like, people, like I get so annoyed when people who have not gone to college, uh, like comment on someone else's college experience. And actually I want to say that GPA made me think that, Hey, DeGrom, I think actually went to his classes and didn't have a tutor or anybody like faking his way through it and, and shoving up his GPA. Because that, guys, yeah. that is done. That is done, and I can. Oh, Ray Rice definitely and
2: it's... done it.
3: Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, anyway,
2: Ray Rice definitely did it. Yeah. Anyway, like. No,
3: I Oh my god.
2: <laughs> but the point. I was being... actually. I was.
3: I was sorry. I was offered to be um, one of those instructional people for the student oh athletes, god. and let me tell you, it's no. basically you're going to classes for them. It yeah. is. And you get paid $1,800 a class. At least that's what it was at the time.
0: Oh. No.
1: I, well, you couldn't pay me enough to do that, that stuff.
2: Um, no, like I have my old crap to deal with. I can't deal with theirs too. No, right? and
3: it's like, it's pretty intense too. Like, I'm sure. Really? I have to do all of this on top of my graduate work? No, thank you. $18 and it isn't and even close to what you should be paying me for this. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I could I could wax poetic on that for a while. But this well, is it, not the time nor the place.
2: But I know cool. Maggie have mentioned, she was like, imagine if Jacob deGrom wrote a book, how boring it would be. It would be very See, boring. Jacob de Grom, I Jacob
3: de I think, has the good sense not to write a Nothing book. I
2: think he's going it. He to not... never. Do, no. It, yeah. No, we are never, even if like he wrote a like on the art of pitching, it would just be like, I don't know, I'll just throw it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, mean, I see point... the ball,
3: I throw the ball, and oh I want God. to embarrass people.
2: Point being,
1: <laughs> Ron Darling is a Yale-educated uh, man who is now a broadcaster. So, like, not only is he, you know, is he educated and, like, you know, has has a bit more of ability to tell the story. He, he has experience yeah. in the broadcast booth, and I think that that means a lot because he's, like, he's yes, good at does. telling yeah. stories. That's part of what being mm-hmm. in the broadcast booth is about. So, like... He's much yeah, more well-suited to write a book like this than, you know, than David Wright or Anthony DeComo. <laughs>
3: and, and, and Ron does it on both the the regional in terms of SNY and the national level. So he can hook people in that aren't just part of the Mets fan base too. Like, I, yeah. I think I think the complete game is very accessible to people outside of the Mets fan base. That's my opinion on that book. I really enjoyed that book. That's probably one of my favorite sports books. Not that I've read that many that I've read I gave that one a five stars on Goodreads
1: and and I think like Ron is like and, and this comes through in his broadcasts too like the way he talks about himself you think he was like some middling like nobody pitcher but he was really yeah. good. <laughs> he was a really good pitcher he, um, but he, he always had, was so he had the, he, was way too hard he, had the he had
3: the highest BWAR on on the 86 Mets highest I mean, I, I mean, I'm going by by B R, not FY is different, but still
1: of the pitching is staff. Best, it? best
3: one on the team of the pitching. No, staff or just it was period? it was overall. Oh, wow. just period.
2: No way. I'm gonna like, just double
3: check on that, but it was it was period. Let me go. Let me just go check.
2: Like I know <laughs> to, to make sure I'm not bullshitting here. He did say, you know, it's like game seven is really hard for him because it's hard to reconcile his personal failure with the team's success so he was like it's come it's taken him a while to come to terms with it and he was like am I like how do I celebrate like one of my like the worst personal failings but he was like but overall the team you know it was the best day for for the team and so he was very like you know, cerebral and talking that through and like talking his emotions through. And so maybe that's what also lingers is that he failed on the biggest stage. And Maybe that's just something that he never came to terms with. Which, yeah.
3: uh, I mean, that's tough. Also, I I was incorrect. He was third overall in 1986. He was the best pitcher. It was Keith Hernandez, Lenny Dykstra, bleh, and then Ron Darling. So I was gonna say he sense. for him to beat out all the position players would have been something yeah. else. it would have been impressive. Be huge. Yeah.
0: But
3: yeah, he I, I think I was just I think going off of he was higher than Doc Gooden.
1: Yeah, which and like yeah, Doc, Doc
3: Gooden, Doc Gooden was just the talk of the town at the time. So yeah, that that was what surprised me about the 86 team on that front.
2: Yeah. Um uh. I can see but the next person who's writing a book, I can see it being Pete. Oh, oh! He
1: would also have a boring book. I feel like, even though he would probably, I think it would be.
3: I was gonna say, if he, I think he would be more boring than right.
2: Yeah, well, because he's the same thing. Like, yay baseball! I love baseball. I love my teammates. I love my coaches. I love the home run derby.
1: I've played baseball my
2: entire <laughs> life. I've literally never done anything
3: else, and it's the only thing I know how to do. <laughs> I, like, I a every wrote- baseball. I wrote my third grade essay that I wanted to be a major league baseball player and I got a bad grade, but then I became a major <laughs> league I baseball player. <laughs> yeah,
0: there
1: the you go. Know. We wrote, we wrote Pete Alonzo's memoir <laughs> right there. Oh and man.
2: I, think, I, think... a polar bear.
3: <laughs> I almost, I almost want to say we wrote Pete Alonso's memoir should be the title, but that kind of belies the actual subject of
2: this podcast. Yeah, like the three seconds we thought of talked about being... yeah um, actually kind
3: of almost that, that almost kind of fits because we found Wright's memoir kind of very unsus- unsubstantive but,
1: but yeah but speaking of substance we can end the show with a little more substance with walk-off wins. <laughs> Yay! Where each of us talks about Yay! something that is making us happy this week, baseball-related or otherwise. Linda Servich, what is your walk-off win for this week?
2: Um, my walk-off win was it was my mama's birthday over the weekend. <gasps> Yay! Um, so my birthday was the 4th, but then we didn't celebrate until the weekend. So then we all went to my parents' house. And then this past weekend, again, we went all to my parents' house. And then my little niece and nephew were there. And Emily always has to. Emily is on light duty. You know, it's very important. You can't turn the lights off too soon, or you can't turn back on too early. Got to make sure all the candles are out. A very important <laughs> job. Uh, and then Danny helps blow out the candles. So again, very Aww. important job. Can't can't leave any candles lit. Um, so it was just, you know, spending time with the with my niece and nephew is is always fun. And I've convinced Emily to god willing to finally go to city field this year i'm like oh do you want to go to Mets game she goes yeah that would be fun so what? she wants to go because we're going to take her in 2020 and then couldn't and then she couldn't get vaccinated last year so finally hopefully we will get emily to a Mets game this year but happy birthday! Nice. but the main thing is it was my mom's birthday happy birthday mom i hope you had a good day yay happy birthday linda's mom <laughs> Happy belated birthday. Yes. It's the yes. 14th. Me and her are ten days apart. <laughs>
1: Yay. Um <sighs> Kellyanne Healy, what is your walk-off win for
3: this week? God, I don't even know. Uh I had a really good cup of hot chocolate just now.
1: I mean, that's um, a perfectly acceptable walk-off win. It's a good one. It um, is,
3: especially
2: it's freaking cold outside, so that's yes. perfect.
3: Um actually no my other one is that my second semester of graduate school started today. So I'm Ooh. excited for that. I'm actually really excited for one of my classes. Um <clears throat> it's going to be a heavy reading semester for all of my classes, but um one of the classes I'm taking is international youth literature. So we're talking about kids literature from across the globe and I've already learned a lot and I'm in the first week. So I'm really excited to go from module to module and um learn about different countries because we're breaking down countries um every couple weeks we're doing uh spain france india japan i think two others that i can't remember at the moment but we're going to be talking about manga at the in the last in the last uh, oh that's very exciting so yeah Yeah. there's a there's a lot of cool literature i'm very excited to get to read that's cool Yes.
2: You like, I have to tell you, library school does kind of take you out of your comfort zone of what you're used to it reading. It does P- people like think,
3: oh, it's this really easy degree. Oh, it's like so unnecessary to li- like librarianship. And it's really not. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a much more philosophy-based degree than I expected. Um the information literacy it takes going like it, it takes to organize information to kind of disseminate that information and make sure big time today, make sure that information is accurate and how to determine if that information is accurate. There's a lot that goes into it a lot and people don't realize that. So yeah, I'm really excited for the semester.
1: (laughs) Wishing you the best of luck this semester. Thank
2: you. Good luck.
1: Um, my walk-off win this week um, is Michael and I got a new TV for our living group. <laughs> Yay! Um, Yay! W- uh, so like the first week coming back from the holidays, um, Michael ended up having three snow days because it snowed like a shit ton in D.C., Um, and so what, what tends to happen when Michael doesn't have work and I have work is that I either get text messages from the other room or he like comes over to me and it's like, see what I think would be nice for us is, and then just like shows me like a, a $1,500 TV. And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, but we, he's been talking about wanting this upgrade for a little while now. Um, our old TV was like, you know, it was functional, but it was like, you know, a little bit small for the space and, you know, not a smart TV and just like, you know, like it's, it's old and like TV technology has advanced a lot. And like the, Ten years since that TV has existed, or whatever. Um, so we got a new 48-inch OLED TV, um, and even though I would like cringed a bit at the price, not that we like couldn't afford it or anything, but I was just like, "Ah, oh, this is so much money to spend on a TV." Uh, like we we fired it up for the first time, we watched something, and I was like, "All right, I admit this is really really nice." You could like tell the mm-hmm. um, the picture so crisp; it's like really nice. Um, so I'm excited about the TV. It's nice. It's a nice TV. Sometimes, you know, when you spend like all your time in the goddamn apartment, got to have some nice things.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was going to mention how the Mets are going to look on
1: that thing. Yeah, the Mets are going to look great on that thing. Uh, It's true. I'm excited to watch baseball on it. haven't really watched sports on it yet. I've only watched like random TV shows that we're watching because there's no baseball to watch. (laughs) Well, the Olympics are coming up. That is true. I will be watching those.
3: Oh, figure uh, yeah. skating!
2: I was going to say, oh, I can't wait for figure the figure skating, skating of drama. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah,
3: so and
2: curling, and <laughs> curling. curling. Push, 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 push. Watch some very high
1: death <laughs> curling. Yeah. Oh my god, it's
3: so it's so intense curling. I can't.
2: Ugh. Well, what happened last year? Was, I'm not being sarcastic you- about that either. No, like what happened last year is the United States and Canada were playing for the gold medal in women's hockey. And I think that came, I can't even remember what time that came on. And then it ended up going over late, over overtime and it was really tense. And and then United States ended up winning in overtime and it was crazy, crazy. And so then like now I'm like pumped, like my adrenaline's going, and I don't know, it's like <laughs> one o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I can't go to bed. And then the curling finals was on and it was the <laughs> United States versus Sweden. So then I stayed up to watch the United States versus Sweden. <laughs> and they won the gold medal. It was like such a great night. <laughs> <sighs> I was like, I can't wait to go to bed at 3 a.m. watching curling again. <laughs> <laughs>
3: because <laughs> I'm such an Olympic nerd. One, one of the few Olympic, well, one of the few hockey games I watched was a men's Olympic game. I, I forget what year. Um, it was USA versus Canada. And I just remember, and Linda, oh, don't get mad at me. Don't no, get mad at don't me. Don't
2: say it. Don't you dare say it. <laughs> Oh, I'm oh, taking my No. I can't, I can't. I'm like gonna be like shaking in the corner and crying.
3: <laughs> I don't remember who won that match. I just remember really it was like Canada.
2: The, it was Canada, okay. They won the gold medal in 2010 in Vancouver and I can't remember if it was 2010 or not. I just said I don't remember what year it was. I just and remember the goalie was, was crying. Oh.
3: I just oh, remember no, watching. I was like, "Man, this this guy, this player is really good." And I found out it was Sidney Crosby. Um, and I'm sorry, Linda. I think I, I think I just like made Linda really mad at me forever.
2: Yeah, I think they won. It was like a really heartbreaking loss too for the United States. I feel like, like they- I, I feel I feel like
3: it was. I remember it being very dramatic. I had like zero yeah, so- <laughs> zero investment, like team wise. I was just actually fascinated to watch it. I don't know what caught me in the mood for it.
2: Yeah, well, I'm upset so, because of COVID. They're not letting the NHL players go this year. So I'm kind of upset about that. Oh. So, yeah. So we're just getting like the, the like the rookies are going to be playing the the hockey. I was like, man, I kind of look cool, forward though. to that because then I'm like, I don't know who to cheer for because then like Rangers are all on different teams. I'm like, do I cheer for Team USA or do I cheer for Russia because the bread man is on Russia? I don't cheer know. Cheer for the do. players.
3: Just cheer <laughs> for like
2: individual players. I mean, at that point, I don't know. But now it doesn't matter. Now I can just root for Team USA because now I got no rooting address. Yeah, that's true. So go USA. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'll Um, say go
3: USA because it's the Winter Olympics. If it was not the Winter Olympics, I, I, oh no, it's just the World Cup. I don't root for Team USA. That's right.
2: Well, if they make it.
3: No, I, I, if they make it all the way to the finals, I still wouldn't root for them. I'm sorry. No, I'm so they
2: don't even make it into the World Cup right now. I'm, I'm like so Team Italy, it
3: hurts. Up. I'm such an Azzurri fan. Even though my stupid goalkeeper just got COVID, that dumbass. <laughs> Gianluigi Donnarumma, I so judge you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Why is he not vaccinated?
3: I don't think so. I, I, I think half of the players are not vaccinated. I Listen. i Team Italy
2: listen the u.s
1: men are highly disappointing but the u.s women are amazing so yes the, w- yes. the
3: women are like psychotically amazing
1: i mean i'm a, i'm a huge u.s women's national team
2: fan so oh, i root really, for the
3: women's team i, I won't root for the men's team i
2: don't really so do they them. have like good people in the pipeline or like are they going to continue yeah. to be good even oh, yeah. to, like if okay oh, yeah.
1: oh okay. you best believe yes <laughs>
2: Uh, they will continue because like what are they gonna do like without rapinoe (laughs) i know i
1: know i mean it's definitely gonna be like a new era but like they're like no they're they're a powerhouse like they constantly are developing like top-notch talent all the time it's like they're the piece, like uh, i won't worry stop yeah no it'll be (laughs) um but yeah uh, so yep, that does it for the show this week. Um, hopefully by the next time we record in two weeks, there will be ending of lockouts to discuss or like impending
3: ending please. of lockouts,
1: please, we please, please, dream. please. Let
2: us
3: hope, please. We don't have much more content. Please, please Robert Allen, Dickie on high, please. Um, let
1: the lockout end. But in the meantime, while you're waiting not so patiently for the lockout to end, you can go to AmazonAvenue.com. Right now, our, our wonderful, wonderful Miners team is running their top, top 25 Mets prospect lists. I think number eight ran today um and so you can check that out at amazonavenue.com both linda and i have pieces coming down the pike um linda has a piece about why the mets should sign chris bryant i have part 2 about uh i have part 2 of my book show walter baltimore perspective um series uh hitting amazonavenue.com soon so you should check those out um check out the rest of our amazing pods um, you can you can uh, follow Maze Avenue on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can follow this show on Twitter at a pod of their own. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I am at Petite PhD. Where are you, Linda? At Linda Servich. And you, Kellyanne? Oh, yeah. Kellyanne's not oh, on Twitter yeah. anymore. I,
3: I am not on Twitter anymore. <laughs> I deleted my Twitter just for mental health reasons and i you can find me however in the amazing avenue com- amazing amazing avenue comments where i <laughs> moderate
1: Yes. So can-
3: come check those out. We have fun pun threads every day <laughs> since we don't have anything else to talk about. All the more
1: reason to check out the amazing Avenue comments, because now that's the only place online you can find Kelly oh, boy! Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: so, yeah, but you should subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Please rate and review the show. It really helps people find it. The original intro and outro music to this podcast is by Bunga. Let's go Mets and don't forget there is no crying in